Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we want to pick up the text where we left off, which is verse 13 of Genesis chapter 8. And hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be making it all the way through verse 19 in this particular episode. And what we're focusing on today is the faith of God's intervention, the faith of God's intervention. In verse 13, we read, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So we're looking at the faith of God's intervention, verses 13 and 19, and the first thing we want to focus in on is false appearances in verse 13. In the 601st year, the first of the month, of, uh, first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering from the ark and looked, behold, the face of the ground was dry. We, we see here that there is the appearance of dry land, but it's not actually dry. And I think that a lot of us could probably relate to that if you've ever lived in a part of the country, which most people do, <laughs> where there is winter, there are four seasons, and you have a period where there is frost in the ground, and finally all the snow is gone, and you think, okay, great, everything's ready, but it's not necessarily uh, same thing could happen later on in the spring with the thaw and, and the flooding that before the frost is completely out of the ground, if the, if the ground is completely saturated in water, you can see the ground, but that doesn't mean that it's ready to cultivate. It doesn't mean it's ready to walk on. It can still be, uh, it can still be muddy and, and dangerous. So there's a false appearance. And so with this comes the idea of the principle of waiting on God. Already we've seen God at work. If you're Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, uh, you've seen the rains stopped. And so you know that it's not going to go on forever, though it could feel like that. We live in such a microwave society now where we want everything instantly. And, and I think you could probably relate to that or at least understand what I'm talking about. And so we've introduced this concept a few times here where, you know, the Lord appears to, to Noah and then it's a long time between communication. Noah has to act by faith for a long, long time. He goes on the boat by faith and, and God seals him in the ark. And, and then there's no record, at least not scripturally, of any communication between God and Noah during the time that the rains are unleashed upon the earth and the great uh, caverns of the deep are opened up and everything is happening. 
And we have Noah for all intents and purposes, just floating on the earth without anything from God for months and months and months at a time. And that's something to really think about. Again, we live in such a short attention span society today that it is easy for us to forget and to lose sight and and to lose track of things. And honestly, I mean, there's a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but uh, this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, It hits me personally because of people that I know. But I think that this is one of the reasons that uh, the Pentecostal theology and charismaticism has taken such a hold on people is because there's always this desire for and need for in, in especially that, that particular brand of evangelicalism for something new, something fresh, something revelation from God. And no longer is it acceptable that God said something a long time ago and we just act on that for the rest of our lives, potentially. They're always looking for something new. I need a new experience. I need new revelation from God. And, and I can't even rabbit trail into that like I'd like to, but God has closed revelation. He's given us everything that we need. There's no, there's no new revelation. There's nothing that's being added to the word of God. And the question is, is can you take what he's given us in his word and live with that for the remainder of your life, if that's what God calls you to. Can you do that without wavering? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Go back and look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the opening verses of that chapter. And it's not about what we can experience tangibly here and what we can continue to get and top off in our life. God speaks and that's it. Can you believe him? Because again, God's timing is not our timing. We know that a day is with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. Oftentimes throughout Israel's history, and of course we're not, we're pre-Israel right now in the book of Genesis, but oftentimes, especially when we see them going into the period of the judges or even some of the kings, God is silent for many, many years, hundreds of years, in fact, in some instances. And yes, he comes to Noah in his 500th year and he gives him instruction, but then there's decades where God doesn't give him any instruction. He's, he's living by faith. And it could seem from our vantage point, because again, like I said, I just want to reiterate that point. In this day and age, we live in an extremely short micro attention span society where if, if we feel like we're not getting something from God or any affirmation or reconfirmation or anything like that, then God must have abandoned us. I mean, I wonder, I wonder how well you would do. I wonder honestly how well I would do if, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I could be shut in, in the ark, but then months go by and the rain is still falling. Finally, the rain turns off. You know, would I take that as a positive sign from God or would I feel like he's just forgotten all about me? I don't know. But again, this whole idea of waiting, coming back to this idea, is that sometimes things take longer than we think. God has set in motion now as he's sealing up the heavens and sending the water back to the great fountains of the deep, all those things that it's going to take time. And so this receding, as we looked at in the last episode, is a continual process, yes, but it takes a long time. And even that, again, we we did point this out, was very fast, considering that the entire world was saturated up above the mountaintops for all the world to have the waters recede off of it to the level that God desired. 
so that he could say in Job 38 to the, the oceans, thus far shall you come and no farther. For that to happen in that amount of time is nothing short of miraculous. And, and then we see evidence of that now where wind is a, a big mitigating factor in, in helping to alleviate from a flood. But just because you land on the mountains as the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and it looks like the earth is dry, it's not ready. You still have to wait on God. You can't just go out there. You have to wait on him. And you have to really, we see in this text, uh, not only wait on him, but you have to, uh, to wait for the specific command. Now, this is a little different. Uh, piggybacking on what we were just talking about a moment ago, this is a day and age when God is speaking audibly and giving revelation to people directly, which he's not now doing. He is giving us revelation uh, through his son, through his word, but it's not through dreams and visions and, and those type of things. So there is this false appearance. And of course, we could equate this, like we said, to the spring thaw. Before the frost has left the ground, the snow's all gone, everything looks great, but it's not great. So that's the false appearance. Then in verse 14, we see that the earth now becomes truly dry. And so you have the first month and the first day of the month, and now we're into the second month on the 27th day of the month. So we're actually almost two months past the initial appearance of dry land, not quite two months, but close to that. And then we have from the scripture, this idea here that the earth did indeed dry out. It, it was actually dry. So almost two months later, the earth is dried out. This is truly, it is truly ready to go. Then we see this special revelation in verse 15 and that's what we were talking about just a moment ago. Uh, again, we shouldn't be looking for this, but in Noah's circumstance, we definitely need it. God has come to him, told him to prepare the ark, told him what he's going to do, judge the earth. And now we see this continued extended faith of Noah for all the decades that he was uh, on the earth before the flood, building the ark. Then he's waiting patiently during the flood, flooding of the earth. And of course, he's busy during that time. He's not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He's got hundreds and hundreds, uh, if not thousands of, of livestock to take care of. He has his family to take care of, plants to keep alive, all that. Obviously, it's probably a very busy culture on the ark when you just think about it practically. But he's still waiting on the Lord. And that's important for us to recognize because as God has given him direction to construct the ark and then to go into the ark, now Noah is continuing to exemplify faith by waiting for God's permission to leave the ark. So then in verse 15, we see, then God said to Noah, now we have direct revelation, verse 16, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. So here's the command and the permission. And it's very important that we focus in on this, that Noah didn't leave until God told him to. Just because we have the false appearance before in verse 13, doesn't mean that Noah was trying to to, you know, somehow just do it on his own power and by his own wisdom, he's still waiting on God and he doesn't leave until God tells him to. And that's very instructive to us. Now things work a little bit differently here. And again, we've led up to this multiple times already in this particular episode, but this is important because, you know, sometimes people say they're waiting on the Lord for direction, for instruction. And we're not going to be getting this audible instruction 
Uh, we're not going to be getting this direct revelation that we see here in Noah's case in today's day and age. Like, should I go to the coffee shop and get coffee? Well, you can wait all day and you're not going to hear something from the Lord. If you do hear something, it's probably going to be your own personal premonition of the flesh or something else, but you're not going to be able to blame that on the Lord or, or you're not going to be able to add that to scripture. So the question then becomes when people say that they're waiting on the Lord today, I mean, this, this really boils down to the idea of what does it look like, practically speaking, to know and discern the will of God in our life? Well, in order to answer that question very succinctly, uh, we have several instances in the scripture, especially in the New Testament, that say this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, flee from sexual immorality, those type of passages. So those are explicit. What about the non-explicit instances where we're looking for the will of God? Well, in those type of things, we have to take things principially because we know that the canon has been closed. And so we have to take, you know, we, we know that the will of God will never contradict the word of God. So that's very important to understand principially. And we also know passages like Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, so many people put the last part of that verse first. They say, look at the desires of my heart and I just have to be happy in God and he'll give me those things. No, no, no. Don't focus on the desires of your heart. The first part of the verse is, is, is paramount, right? That says, delight yourself in the Lord. Saturate yourself in God's word. Make sure that your entire life is saturated by that. Immerse yourself in God. Spend time in prayer, meditation, and his word. Not just emptying your mind out and looking for something. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of perversions of all of that around. We're not looking at that. We're looking and saying, okay, if God has given us everything, his will isn't going to contradict his word. So I better be an incredible student of his word. I better spend a lot of time meditating on his holiness and how to please him. I'm going to delight myself in him. I'm going to make him the object of my delight, of my hope, of my love, of all my thinking. He's going to be first. Shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment, right? I mean, I think the the greatest commandment that we ever break in all of our lives is actually the, the commandment of idolatry. We have other gods before God. And, you know, we've got to get that right. Well, once I delight myself in the Lord, it actually, that's going to change the desires of my heart. Getting back to Psalm 37, verse 4. That's going to change my desires of my heart because those desires are now going to be God's desires. I'm going to desire the things that he wants. I'm going to, I'm going to desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to want to know what the height and depth and width and breadth of the, the love of God that he has for us in Christ Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to want to know that. I'm going to desire God's blessing on the people of God in the church of God. So my desires and delights are going to change and when they do, and now they're conformed to the word of God, then God is happy to give those to us. So bringing that all back around, how do I discern the will of God in my life? Well, if you're doing all those things and all of that is true, everything that I've just spent the last couple of minutes articulating, then you can honestly say with, with a little trepidation and, and, uh, you know, just a little bit of, uh, of hemming in, if you will, by the word of God, you can say that. Uh, if you have desires, that those should be hopefully God-informed, informed by the Word of God uh, through your God-saturated life, your Bible-saturated life, your prayer-saturated life, 
And if you have those desires and you check those desires and they're not uh, contradicting the will of God and they're not clearly and explicitly sinful, then you should follow them until you can't anymore. This idea of sitting on our hands and waiting for something to break into our lives, like God is going to speak to us and the heavens are going to open and a ray is going to come down from heavens and shine on us. And then we're going to know explicitly that this is God's will for us. That that's, that's probably not accurate. So make sure that your lives are informed with the word of God, saturated by the word of God, spent in prayer, dwelling on his holiness, dwelling on his attributes, praying for others, delighting in seeing others grow in Christ and trusting that he will guide the desires of your heart that way. And then, and only then, you can begin to follow the inclinations of your heart, not looking for something new and special, but that we're trusting in God. So Noah is looking for God's direction in his life, but again, he's in a very different dispensation than we are because he's at a time when revelation is still being given afresh, and God is going to preserve the world through Noah and his family. Nothing like that's going on today. So that's why we see this command and permission. Today, we get our command and our permissions from the word of God. God commands us to do many things. I guarantee, because I fall into this category, I'm not doing all that God commands and neither are you. And he gives us permissions. And just because he gives us permissions in the word of God doesn't mean we're doing all those things either. So let's just focus on those things rather than looking at the things that are out of bounds. Now, included with this command and permission is, isn't just verse 15, where God speaks to him, says, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, but it includes everything. Take everything that you brought into the ark, everything that is flesh, everything that breathes in the breath of life, all the birds, all the animals, all the creeping things that creeps on the earth, take those out too. And so it's not just you leave, take the animals out, set them free. God, by his sovereign oversight, is going to make sure that they go out and do the things they were designed to do. They're going to swarm on the earth, he says in verse 17. They're going to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And by the way, Noah's going to have to do that too, but that's going to get reiterated a little bit later. So the animals are going to do what God has designed them to do, and he's going to bless them and, and cause them to multiply over the face of the earth. We still see evidence of that today. This is God being faithful to his word. There's the commanding permission. Now we come to verses 18 and 19, we see faith demonstrated. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with them. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So faith is demonstrated. God speaks to Noah. And just as he spoke to him before saying, build the ark, he built the ark. Just as he spoke to him and says, in seven days, the rain's going to come, go into the ark, load the ark. Uh, load the ark, then go into the ark. Noah does that. Now God speaks to him and says, leave the ark. And now he once again demonstrates faith and he leaves the ark. And he goes, he and his wife and his sons and his son's wives with him. And he does exactly what God had commanded to him in the preceding verses, brings every beast, every creeping thing, every bird. And what's fascinating is it, this seems to give indication as to how it was arranged in the ark it says that they all went out by families from the ark. So that would indicate that as he brought them in by two by two, and in some cases the pair, the clean animals in pairs of seven, that he kept them organized. So there's an organizational structure that we see inherent in some of these things that as they're leaving, they leave by families and God's going to bless that so that they can be fruitful and multiply and fill the, the earth once more. So faith is demonstrated. 
And again, this all comes down to faith. Uh, We learn an important lesson as we work through this, as we see God preserving humanity on the earth. But the lesson for us practically is we should be men and women and children of faith. That's what we should do. So when we see the commandments of God in the Bible and we don't understand them, we say, yes, Lord, by faith. And we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, you know, we have this in scripture for us. But as we see Noah demonstrating faith, the question that I would leave us with today is when people look at us, do they say there is a man, there is a woman, there is a child of faith who's put their faith in something that they cannot see and they are living by that faith and not just something ambiguously, but the God of all creation. And that's really the question that we have to ponder because Noah certainly did. You can't get away from that in all of this text, this entire flood narrative. You cannot get away from the idea that Noah lived by faith. Are you living by faith? And if not, why not? And if not now, then when? Are you going to put it off a little bit longer or is now the time? I would submit that now is the time that we ought to be living by faith, now and into eternity until God takes us home. Well, that's where we'll end our episode today in verse 19, and we'll pick it up next time in verse 20. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website, at gfbc.net.